0: Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to the 2020 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Ike Zhang. I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan, and it's with great pleasure to introduce the next panel The Path to Greatness. We got two incredible speakers today. We have first Sue Bird, who is an all star point guard for the Seattle Storm. We also have Larry Fitzgerald, a Pro Bowl wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. And for today, our moderator is going to be Amit Sankaran, who is the CEO of Religion of Sports. The panel itself will run 45 minutes, with 10 minutes afterwards for questions and answers. For any questions, please submit them via Twitter uh, through using our hashtag GreatnessCode. All the questions that will have the most mentions will be selected, and it will be sent to the moderator to be asked to the speakers today. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it off to Amit. Thank you.
2: Thank you we're really excited about this and and you know at religion sports we create content um and the real purpose of the content is to say sports are a backdrop for life and there's so many life lessons you can take away from sports so what i'm excited about here is you have two legends who have sustained greatness for so much of their careers and what the aspiration of this panel really is is how do we impart some of that wisdom not only to the athletes who are in the crowd but to everyone else who is doing whatever they're doing. And so I think that's what really this is about, and we're really excited for it. So before we get to the how, though, I think, Sue, start with you a little bit on the why. Like, what, if you, if you take a step back and thought about at the beginning of your playing career, or just sports in general, and then it's evolved, why did you start down this path?
0: Because <laughs> I'm insane. No. <laughs> um, sports just came really naturally to me. It was, I was a classic tomboy. So when I think back on it, um, you know, obviously later on in my life, it got serious, but it just started as I love to play sports. That's what it was. That was just me naturally finding this path. Um, as you get older, it becomes, um, a little different. It changes throughout. We've talked about this already, like from the start, let's call it 11 to now, all those things kind of change, but at the core is that love. And it's kind of, you know, cliche in a way, but I just genuinely love playing sports.
2: Is it, and when you say the love, is it, is it the feeling in, is it the feeling during, after, what, what is it?
0: Um, I think it's, I can say this now, I think it's the journey you're going on with a team. Mm-hmm. That's where my love, like I love being able to like be around these different people, you know, they're called your teammates, and you're trying to figure this out, you have this goal, and how are you going to get there? And then when you actually get there, like, just how you were able to all put it together. That's, that's, I really enjoy that. It's almost like a puzzle at times. I really enjoy that aspect of it.
2: Awesome. Larry, same question. What what drives you? Uh, for me, it just started as a,
3: a six-year-old with a dream. Um, you know, I had a vision um, of greatness. I had this a, a vision that, um, that I could accomplish every goal that I set for myself. And I was very fortunate because my dad was in the journalist business. So he kind of surrounded me with people that I you know, admired and looked up to, um, you know, from Michael Jordan to Magic Johnson, to Kirby Puckett, all these great guys that I wanted to emulate, and I was very close to those men. So I had a chance to really see them, and you know how dynamic they were, and the work ethics, and all the things that they did. And, and I realized at a very young age that if I if I wanted to be like those guys, I, I had to put the work in. I had to dedicate my myself to to being great. Um, and as I've gotten older, Sue mentioned earlier that. You know, greatness starts to, starts to change, you know, as you become a father, you want to be a great father. Um, you know, as you become a, a teammate, you want to be a, a great teammate. Um, as you start to get into um, other ventures in your life, you want to be great in every aspect. And you wanted those things to parallel. So, um, you know, from the very beginning, it, it was just a
2: burning desire to be the very best at what I did. And, you know, it just it's kind of grown from that point on. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's really interesting to learn about you. One of, um, you know, I'm a parent of two kids. And uh, someone who's giving me parent advice was saying, kids will always listen to what you do and it'll go out their ear, but they'll watch what you do and that's what they actually pick up. It's interesting you say that, you know, you saw through your dad and and relationships what the work ethic, how much now looking back do you think that influenced um, your work ethic or what you ultimately did?
3: It was the deciding factor for me because the guys that I had relationship with normally some of the better players, Hall of Fame players and so, um, you know, I remember vividly as a child being at training camp in the Minnesota Vikings and watching John Randall. He's a Hall of Fame defensive lineman. And coach would actually have to literally take him out of practice. He was so disruptive. <laughs> he would beat the guy in front of him so often that they really couldn't get plays run offensively. And he that's how much that's how much pride he took in being better and working at his craft that he he, he didn't care about anything else but him being dominant. And so for them to get plays done, he had not, and I saw that. I was like wow, that, that's, that's why he does what he does every week, because he's dedicated to, to improving. And um, like now as a 36-year-old, I see, you know, businessmen that take that same approach. Um, they just continue to get up and, and, and try to reach new heights. But in terms of parenting, I would agree with you. Like my son, he plays wide receiver. He's been playing wide receiver now. He's 12 for like four years. He has not one time ever asked me one question about route running, how to catch passes, (laughs) nothing. And I'm here and listen to this guy who never even played collegiately explain to my son how to run routes, and I'm just sitting back, just listening, (laughs) you know, thinking, when is he gonna realize that his dad is actually decent at doing what he's trying to do, you know? I'm not gonna push it on him. I I don't think it's right for me to push on him. When when it's time, I hope he will eventually ask me and and I'll impart all the wisdom that I have harder, you know, <laughs> But, um, but I, I listened to my dad when I was younger, but my,
2: my kids don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, when we think about greatness, I mean, you can unpack this lots of ways. One way is an organizing principle we used, and we used it, you know, we produced this film with Tom Brady, Tom vs. Time, when he was turning 40, and we, we bucketed the episodes into physical, just for simplicity, physical, mental, uh, emotional, spiritual relationships and thought about what do you do to be your best selves along all those dimensions. And so, you know, Sue, if you think about kind of those categories and you think about now reflecting on your years playing, um, what things do you focus on and how do those impact kind of ultimately you being the player in person that you are?
0: Um, so I think right now where I am in my career, definitely towards the end, I'm 39, I've had like, 11 or 12 surgeries on my lower extremities a couple on my nose Those do not really count um, the physical is really important it's probably more important than the mental because I'm, I'm fortunate in a way that I've gone through my career and I've, I've developed my mentality along the way where now if I don't have the physical what does the mental matter like I have to be able to to move and I have to be so I've really like worked on my body, my, my nutrition, you name it. That has become where my confidence comes from, to be honest. I feel like if I check all of these physical boxes that I need to check, and they're not, it's nothing crazy, it's just what I need to, you know, to make sure my knee feels good, to make sure my hips feel good. It's like all these little things. If I check off all those boxes, I can go up there and play free. But if something's bothering me, or if I feel like oh, I was supposed to work out this morning, which I did on the Peloton, it was awful, at like 7 a.m., <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but I do, the, I do that because I know that's where my confidence is gonna come from. And once you get on the court, like I said, you play free, and then all the stuff I've learned through the years, that's already there. That's already there. And I joke, it's like, I'm probably not gonna get better at shooting at this point. <laughs> like, I'm just not, it is what it is. I'm probably not gonna get a be- become a better ball handler or you know learn to do a different move, that ship has sailed. I don't <laughs> even know if I was ever on that ship, but it sailed. But if I can move in the way I wanna move, my. The things i've learned from a mental standpoint then i can use those if i can't move the way i want to move i'm screwed
2: and does does the mental piece do you feel like that's been something that's grown and been stable now for some some time or
0: so that's did you where have it when
2: you started if you
0: asked me this question 10 years ago i would have been like i'm the smartest player on the court and that's why i'm able to succeed mm. so the physical was always there because i was young it didn't matter so that's why it's been this kind of shift um but actually, at this old age, when, when, old age, I know, but it's true, when things are moving the way they're supposed to, I feel like I'm at almost like this elite level, even better than I was when I was probably 31, because I'm so much smarter. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, when, it, when, it's, when it's all clicking, it's really clicking.
2: That's great. That's awesome. Larry, what about you? What about the, the different dimensions we talked about?
3: Well, uh, you know, when you first get in, in, into the league as a, as a youngster, you're 20 years old, and you're you know, your fighting perception is what he did in college or what she did in college good enough to help him succeed once he gets to the next level, right? And so once you beat that, then it's, okay, he's he's shown he's pretty good. Now he's about to get a new contract. Will he have the same work ethic and the same hunger and desire to continue to improve after he's got a new contract and it's, he's he's financially set now, right? And then now, in my age, now I'm 36, going into my 17th year, um, does he still have what it takes to, to play at a high? I mean, so it's always questions, they just are different forms of questions that are that are asked, and um, I think you just have to continue to reinvent yourself. So we talked about it um, in her last comments. You have to prepare different I can't go out and run you know 30. 110 sprints every single day like I was able to do at 20, I, I just physically can't do that because I wouldn't be any good for when it was time to compete on the field. Um, so I have to work a lot smarter. I can still get the same exact results, but I have to be a, a lot more intelligent about how I approach it. And um, I think the, the year that really, um, like it was a defining year for me was 2013. That was the first time, I don't know Sue, if you've ever experienced it, where a coach finally told you like you, you're I don't think you're good enough to do this anymore yeah. um the way you've been doing it and you get to this you're like this is the first time I'm, I'm I'm hearing this you know I've been the best ever since I first started doing it and it was like a it's like a gut punch right and then you have this decision you have to make okay is what I is what I've done enough right um and then you say no it's not and he's not gonna be the one to tell me that and then you Figure out a way to, to reinvent yourself and continue to you know go on the same trajectory that you've always been. So um, it's really about the mental fortitude, having the ability to push through and not listen to what other people are telling you about your abilities, the things you can do, you can't do, and you know kind of defining your your own path. I mean it, that's the one thing that's great about athletics is um, you know it's it's a meritocracy, right? I mean the tape doesn't lie. if, if you're winning, if you're catching, if you're getting open, if you're you know, knocking down shots or whatever it is, like, nobody can tell you that you're not being productive. So that's the one advantage you do have as an athlete is that you can always just show everybody. And um, that's, that's fabulous.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had a moment like that. Only it was actually not on purpose, but Charles Barkley was the one. He you said, didn't know he was talking to me, oh. but he was talking to me. But basically I had plateaued in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like my career was kind of plateauing in this way. It was was actually 2000, around the same time, 2013, 14. And he was on TV talking about an NBA guy who was older and was plateauing. And this NBA guy was trying to come back another year, which I was kind of in that. I was like, I'm coming back next year. I'm going to be better. This plateau, no, I'm going to. And he was like, man, these guys. They get old, they try to come back for that next year, and it never works. Just retire. And I was like, I got to prove Charles Barkley wrong. <laughs> so for you, it was a coach. For me, it was Charles.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot there. It's super interesting. Because if you think about, so both of your cases, there were you came in with a draft class. There are others who've been successful alongside you. But to your point, very few, if none in some cases, are still playing. And so there's some of it which is physical. Some of it may be luck. But it's, and then is the so I guess two questions here: is the motivation at some level external, internal, both? Where does it come from? And then, second, once it exists, how do you persist through? Now you guys are both talking about 2013, 14. It's 20. So how do you persist? And and what drives? You know, what what is what has created this outcome?
3: Well, I'm I, I'm not motivated by anything but greatness, honestly. I, I mean, everything else is like gravy to me, um, but. Now just the pursuit of greatness is, is what motivates me um, to continue to get up and do it and, and try to get better, uh, not only in athletics but just in life in general, um, to go out and acquire knowledge to make me a, you know a better whatever I transition to doing after I'm done playing. and I think that's more so of a, of a lifestyle choice, you know and um, you know, you just never can get complacent or you know, become you know, one of those guys that always talk about what you did. And what, what I did? No, 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 it's what I'm doing or what I'm gonna do. You always have to have that mindset. But I, I think being around other guys that are young and in our our business, they're in there to replace you every single year. So I, I see guys. They're bringing them in. They drafted three receivers last year to come take my job, and I and then they ask you to help them they, <laughs> take, take your job. So they're just you know, teach them how to run the routes. That you, and, and, and you're in the back of your mind is like. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> and, um, you know, but it's a challenge like that, 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 that motivates you to continue to just keep going at it. And I, I love, I love it. I love the challenge. I love the competition. Like I live, I live for all of that. And, um, you know, even still 17 years old talking about it, like makes the hair on my hand stand up because I I just, I really find a lot of enjoyment in it. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. A lot of what Larry said, um, especially the part about like, it kind of changes as you go through, right? Like, so maybe it starts, there's always like a question. There's always something, you know, you did well, you got the contract. Now you got to prove you earned that contract. There's always something, um, which is, is very true for me as well. But there is one kind of, I guess, question in the back of my head that always is there. And it's like, I was always good. I was definitely always good. I'm not going to sit up here and paint a different picture. I was always one of the better players on the team, but I wasn't always the best player on the team. I was like in the top three, and so even coming out of, like the easiest way to put it is coming out of high school um, I went to University of Connecticut obviously it's a very good school and I was in a very good draft class I was the lowest ranked of my draft class of my draft <laughs> recruiting class I was the lowest ranked of the five there's five of us I was ranked like 17th in the in the country of, at a high school. And so I think there's just this like ingrained part of me of you gotta prove you belong, you gotta prove you belong. You gotta, I mean, even now, sitting here with like, all the awards and all the medals and whatnot, it's still, I go out, like, every game in my head, I'm like, oh, I hope I do well tonight because I gotta prove people wrong. You know, like, I gotta go out there and ball out because a lot of people think maybe they can take my job, or it does change as you go, but that like, is a constant. It's just like this little voice in my head, and that's why I get up in the morning to work out, and that's why I know I have to take care of certain things so I can just constantly prove people wrong.
2: Yeah, it's super interesting. We we work with we have the privilege of working with a lot of phenomenal athletes like yourselves. And you know, two examples, Tom Brady and Steph Curry say the exact same thing, Sue, that you're mentioning, which is drafted late, um, people had doubts coming in. And then now, Tom even says 20 years in, still thinks the same thing. Maybe I don't belong. I have to prove things. And that's motivation. And it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, on those dimensions I talked about, one that I think isn't talked about a bunch is uh, Spiritually, so think, and and I think it, the, you know the definition changes depending on who you're talking to. One example is with, with Steph when we worked with him. Um, my partner, uh, business partner Gotham, who um, directed that 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 um, the piece of work, talked about Steph and said, you know, for all he talks about religion, he's the most Zen guy he knows. And it, it's you know all the things can be going crazy in his life or outside, but he's calm on the court, and that actually drives. And it's the way kind of he almost implicitly describes spirituality. But how do you guys um, think about that uh, how, you know, in life, and then how does that translate on the court?
3: Well, field? So, well I wouldn't say I'm overly religious, um, even though I was born into a Southern Baptist family and sang in the choir and did the whole thing. More so now, just I'm spiritual. I believe there's a higher power, and I believe that um, what you give, you usually will receive in terms of just being kind and treating people the right way, just living life the right way. Um, and that's kind of how you know I, I raise my children now. Is it's just you know treat people kindly, um, you know go out of your way to do the right thing, no matter if everybody's going one way. You you do it the right way, the way you've been taught to do it, and, and you know just stand by those decisions, and and um, you know that's kind of how how I approach life, and you know just try to you know just go off you know what internally feels like it's the right thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I think we're like the same person. (laughs) Everything you say, I'm like, yep. Um, Yeah, I'm not religious at all. I'm not religious at all. But I do believe kind of in karma. Like, I believe in doing, you know, being nice to people and kind to people, Um, learning if if there's moments that you're not, learning from them and and trying to get better from it. Um, And I think, in terms of like being on the court and being in that Zen place, I have added meditation to my like, routine in the last couple years because I definitely have a busy brain, so it really helps to have moments of where it's just kind of like shut off. And um, I think what happens though is on the court I almost have, this is definitely throughout my whole career to be honest, I have like different personalities. And when I'm on the court, I have to be the calm one. I have to be the one that my teammates can look to. You know, I think when they look at me, it calms them down. You know, so I have to continue to be that calm one. And then the times where I do get crazy, oddly, it ends up working because they're not used to seeing me like that. It's so like, oh, shit, she's ready.
3: Like,
0: she's crazy right now. Um, but, yes, but, but I think that's just part, of, that's become part of this, like, basketball personality that I have is to be the calm one. So I, I just, it's just, it's almost like a part of me in this way that I didn't even realize. Because I don't know that I'm necessarily like that off the court all the time. Like I said, I have a busy brain.
2: So it's interesting, both of your answers, I think, kind of also lead you down a path of kind of where you are in your careers, which is, you know, this conversation around leadership. So if you think about, because you're basically saying, you know, one of the things that's going on, either explicitly or implicitly in your mind, is how are you leading this group? Um, So how does that play a role in now, as you've evolved as a player, um, your role on the court or, you know, leading this team um, alongside them?
0: Yeah, um, leadership's a funny thing, you know. I think for some it comes naturally, for some um, it doesn't. I think that the best thing I can say is you kind of have to be yourself. It's like, I've been saying this a lot this weekend, it's kind of corny to say it, but you really do, like, if you're, and this is actually something Diana Trazzi says, so I'm going to steal a little bit, but like, if you're a dork, like, be a dork, (laughs) you know, like, if you're whatever you are, like, just be it. Because I think as a leader, the one thing that teams can smell is bullshit, like, immediately. So if you're doing something that's not, like, real, they know it. So all I found is, like, yeah, there, there, there are things that I have, I think, that I was just born with in terms of the leadership. And very early, I kind of picked up on it. Like, when I was in college, um, our college coach was trying to make a point about we had, we had too many clicks on the team. And he was, like, writing everybody's name on the board. and He was like, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, you're over here, and drew a circle around it. These three, you're over here. This is your click, and I was in the middle, and I was connected to all the clicks, and that's just like how I roll. It's like what, who I am. It's how I've been, and I've realized I can use that in my leadership. You know, um, again, that's just who I am, and I don't remember what your question was, but
2: no, it to- <laughs> totally makes sense. No, but actually, one more there, and Larry, I want your take too. But uh, if you then step back and then take it into your role at, you know, with the CBA, for example, oh yeah, how how is that? is it the same you being you and then you're playing that role or is it change or evolve yeah.
0: no it's, it's similar i think again i am who i am it's gonna come out that way i can't really change it and i i i'm a big proponent in people being who they are in, in that regard in that leadership regard and to be honest if you're not a leader that's okay too <laughs> like you don't have to force it um, with the cba negotiations what was different was i was now I don't know, there was so on a team, it's your equals, it's your teammates. And this, because I was the older one, I had my my voice had even more weight in this way. I, I wasn't even prepared for, it. I found out as I was going through the process. So that was a little different. I kind of almost became more like a like a like the adult, you know, like the, the mom or the coach or where they were really like looking at me and I was like, oh, I have a lot of power. Like how am I gonna use this? Now, obviously I use it for good, but um, that kind of change, where I had to adjust a little bit and understand that I couldn't just with my teammates I just like pop off I'd, like say whatever do whatever in that scenario I had to be careful a little bit more careful with what I said.
2: Mm-hmm makes sense So Larry, how do you view your role as it's evolved and a
3: leader? Um, it's it is evolved a whole lot um, over the last 16 years, but I would say honestly right now is the most fun I've ever had being in a leadership position because I literally am able to influence the thoughts and trajectories of most of the guys around me by just basic decisions um, that they make every day in terms of their approach. Not so much even on the field, but off the field. And I take so much pride in trying to lead them in the right direction so they can avoid some of the mishaps and mistakes that I may have made, because I didn't have somebody to, to lead me when I was there. So I take so much pride in that. I, I enjoy getting to know the guys, and they've gotten me out of my comfort zone, i i am I would say if it was behind closed doors, I'm 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 an introvert for the most part. Um, but I I'm outgoing and, and can be. And being around the young guys now, it's <laughs> they 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 the things they listen to, the clothes they wear, um, the stuff they talk about. I can't always relate to it, but <laughs> the video games and all that stuff, like I, I, I now find myself doing a little bit of it because this is what I need to do to connect with them. So they've actually made me grow as well. Um as much as i've been trying to help them they've they've helped me grow as well and you know there's a a little bit closer gap to them to my kids as opposed to my kids to me so they they i asked them questions to help me how can i relate this to my to my son a little bit better because he looked at me like i had you know four eyes last time i asked him this you know so they helped me along the way too but um, i really take a lot of pride in it it's um it's, it's an honor to be able to, to play as long as I have, and that they respect you the way they do. Um, but uh, when I was younger, you know, I never really broke down any team huddles. I, never, I was a captain, but I never said anything. I wish I had to lead by example by the way I prepared and things that I, I did on a daily basis. But um, now I, I don't have any problem speaking. If I see somebody doing something wrong, you know, and I know all the guys very well, too. I, you have to invest in the people that you're around so you can understand. There's certain guys that I need to jump on. Like, I need to embarrass them because that's the only way they're gonna respond. And there's other guys that you have to pull them aside after practice, hey, look, we can't do it that way. You need to be more punctual with, like, and they respond to that too, but you have to learn the guys and what motivates them, what their whys are. And I think that's a great part of leadership as well.
2: You get to know your teammates a heck of a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. In football, I, I, um, you know, it's, it's probably arguably in any team sport, the one where there's one position, the quarterback that's supposed to take your, you know, 14, 15 year older than your quarterback. How, how does that dynamic work in terms of you playing that leadership role with? Well, you know, I, I Kyler's
3: he's a leader in his own way. Um, he's But he's, he's very quiet. Uh, he stays to himself for the most part. But if he needs to say something, he will say it. And I think as he gets older um, and, um, you know, he becomes more comfortable with his position, I think he'll start to open up a lot. Uh, but he's got great instincts, though. I mean, he knows what's going on. He might not comment on it, but he, he's understanding. He's, he's digesting it all. And I kind of I like, I like his leadership ability. Um, and, and as he grows, he's going to only become that much more dynamic because, you know, as you said, the quarterback is the guy talking in the huddle every single play. He's the most visible. He gets the most, you know, love. He gets the most hate. You know, he has to kind of naturally become that guy. And, and I think he'd do it. And I think the transition
2: will be perfectly seamless. So we're in uh analytics conference and and so if you think about those dimensions of greatness has data um whether collected about you know data that you've collected about yourselves the teams have given you about um your team or opponents how has that evolved over time and how have you incorporated it into you know what you all use to train or you know ultimately put forth out Um, game to game? Uh, It's been been instrumental with
3: me. It's helped me um, because I would consider myself kind of an old school guy and push through any injury, do this. Um, Yeah, I know that's hurting. I know I'm sore, but I can practice. And now, you know, with the the way they monitor our our reps and things of that nature, it's it's helped me a lot. I remember like two years ago, I had a a bad high ankle sprain and I was still practicing on it. And one of the trainers came up to me um, and my coach and told me, look, Fitz is Anytime he's breaking to the right, um, you know it's like 30% less um, forceful as it is when he's breaking to the left. I just don't know if it's any good for him to be out here practicing. Is, is he helping himself or hurting himself? I mean, we need him to play on Sunday. It just makes no sense for him to be out here. And I didn't. I wasn't complaining. I was going about my, my my routine, and they came and pulled me out of practice. Ten years prior to that, that would have never been able to happen. I may have. Injured myself more and been down for two weeks, and so I would say that it's, it's definitely helped. It's helped take the decision making out of the athlete's hand, and sometimes it's best that decisions are not made by you because you're always going to usually do what serves you, you know, as an mm-hmm. athlete, because um, this is how you're wired. Um, you never want to be the one to let your team down or let let yourself down, and, and sometimes it's, what's best is for you to to step
2: back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Load management, man. Load
2: management.
3: It's a
0: real thing. Um, No, similarly, I think, like, in basketball, it's usually if you're coming back from an injury, like, okay, she can go today, but just half court. Half court sometimes is harder than full court. But that was just, like, the term that was used, and, like, that was kind of just, like, the benchmark of entering back in. Mm -hmm. And now we know so much more. And I think that's why you're seeing athletes who are older playing longer. Um, We've just gotten smarter. We've been able to use the data. Um, For me, I wear a whoop. So that's, you know, all about sleep and, and getting the right recovery, and that's kind of, again, where I live. I live in that world of, like, i got to get my body right. Obviously, analytics has changed basketball, like, dramatically. And the women's game, it's, it's, it's a little different because, to be honest, we just don't have the money to, like, hire the analytics guy to constantly be, like, checking things. So it's not like an everyday where we're getting numbers handed to us. But then... Oddly, you know, when you look at the past two WNBA champions, um, last year was the Washington Mystics, the year before that was my team, the Seattle Storm, and we're very similar, like, we shoot, both teams set records for hitting threes, Um, both teams have, like, a post player, Elena Deladon for Washington, Brianna Stewart for Seattle, that are, like, these versatile fours, we don't really have, like, traditional bigs. You know, we didn't have, like, a center that we went to or anything like that. We played, like, five out as much as we could. So, obviously, it's, like, trickled into the women's game, kind of unknowingly, to be honest. Or maybe knowingly. We're just not admitting it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. What, um, so, what about teammates? So, if you guys reflect on your own careers, um, you've had, you know, phenomenal teammates uh, throughout, phenomenal quarterbacks. How do, you, how do you think about, kind of, in a team sport, individual versus team greatness? How are they related? And, um, you know, I know some things are all, lots of things are serendipitous, but how much do you feel like those events of having phenomenal teammates throughout your career have influenced your own personal success?
3: Well, I think our sports are um, really different in that that regard. You know, if you have one great basketball player, that, that one player can, most of the time, be it, the difference maker and putting you over the top in football is completely different. If they want to take me out of the game completely, they can They can usually do that, um, you know, corner safety over the top, and and so it's really pushed the onus on having a a team that can, you know, get things done when other guys are being neutralized, you know, and you know, Bill Belichick is famous for that. He's going to take away your two best offensive weapons, and if your third and fourth and fifth guys are good enough to beat them, then live with that and that's that's really how it is so you have to be able to find innovative ways to be able to get other guys involved when you know things are just not clicking for you on certain days and um you know it's you see it every single week you know, there's, there's days that i've had phenomenal games and we haven't you know got the results that we've gotten. there's days that i've been just average and you know we played outstanding so football is a, a little bit different um but it's, uh, it's great. That's what makes the game, you know, so special. You just never know any play, any Sunday, there could be a new hero.
2: Mm-hmm. You know. yeah,
0: makes sense. I mean, my entire career is based on having great teammates and playing with great players. Um, I think I pride myself on being a really good Robin. Like, I can really be that Robin to the Batman, and I don't mind that. I love it. Um, but, yeah, without great teammates, again, like, my entire existence. But the odd thing is some of my... Um, You know, some of my favorite seasons has been situations where our best player went down and we had to kind of figure it out as a team and kind of come together and and with what we had. And, you know, and then there's been years actually where we still had. So I brought up Brianna Stewart earlier again. So Stewie was a rookie and nobody thought we were going to do anything. And we ended up making the playoffs. And so that was another situation where we didn't win. So but the the benchmark for success with that team was that, that we were able to figure it out and have success in our own way. Um, and that was about the team and the teammates and figuring it out and the chemistry, and this obviously is all circling back because this is, like, my favorite part.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: this is, like, what I, I thrive on that. I love it.
2: That's awesome. So, so um, another thing we've talked, we touched at the beginning about how things evolve over time and how your careers evolve and things change. Um, priorities also evolve. A lot of the players that we work with um, and a lot of content we talk, we, we think about uh, people come back to the point of, you know, in your 20s, Early 30s, late 30s, 40s. Your priorities outside, off the court, off the field, um, have changed. And so, how does that influence, in a way, because you know you might get more busy or the distractions are changing, influence your performance? Or how do you deal with that? And and if you guys give examples of of, of challenges you faced on that dimension, it'd be interesting to hear.
3: Well, when I start training again um, to get prepared for the season, I always allot for like two to three hours a day. Like that is the time that I'm solely dedicated to my my trade craft, right? Um, and I think you always have to understand what butters your toast, right? Every opportunity, being here at this Port St. Louis conference, is not because I'm some, you know, smart student that earned his way into Sloan. That's not, that's, that's not happening. It's because I've, achieve you know, great success on the football field, and I understand that. Um, so I always dedicate time to improving and doing what I need to do to be the best I can be with that. And then once I'm finished with that, then I can go pursue the other things that I have interest in or take the kids to practice or do whatever else that you, know, you have to do as you get older and, and you have more responsibility. So um, that's kind of the way I approach it. You know, I just make sure I'm always doing you know, what is necessary for me to stay at the top of my profession. Focus doesn't change. Focus has to be it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, very similar. Um, And it can get hard. The busier you get, the more that gets added to your schedule to find the time. Sometimes it's hard to find the time for for even that two, three hours. And I just try to remind myself, like, two things. One, like, it'll be okay. Like, if if you don't get to work out today, like, you'll be okay. Like, don't trip out. Because I feel like you can get anxious. Me especially, because I said, speaking of bread being buttered, it's like, my body is it right now. I have to take care of it. Um, but then simultaneously, maybe I can only get like an hour workout in and I'm always like, I'm doing the work and I'm like, marginal gains, marginal gains. I know this is like, this isn't the workout that's going to like get me over the hump, but it's just a little one that's going to help me get to the next day, you know? So I think all in all, you have to be kind to yourself in those moments is where I'm going. Um, and remember like, even if you do this much, that marginal gain is going to pay off at the end.
2: And then how do you think about now, you know, as we've talked about, you know, not finishing the career, but closer to the end than the beginning is probably a fair way to put it. How do you think about setting the stage now while you're playing um, and uh, for the next opportunity? How do you think about those opportunities and how do you think about greatness in those opportunities?
3: Well, I mean, I I feel like um, 2009 was the year I, I really started to focus on, you know, creating an opportunity in the network and relationships to help me figure out what my next step would be would be. I mean I was only in my you know sixth year and I realized that I needed to start preparing myself because unlike most professional sports you don't really determine when the end is they kind of just come and tell you Fitz, we don't longer need your services and then you just gotta go figure it out on your own. So I didn't want to be caught in a position where um, you know I was forced out and I didn't have any direction. So my first thing I did I I um, had a friend that worked at J.P. Morgan, and I did a, you know, a ten-day internship uh, at, at J.P. Morgan, and it was, you know, an unbelievable experience for me, and really kind of gave me um, a great understanding, a little bit even more so with my finances. than my financial advisor. I, I, I have a lot more um, input on the direction I'm, I'm going and the things that I'm doing with them, and. Um, you know that started, then I went and did one with Magic Johnson. For, and so everything that I was interested in, I would go out and, and pretty much just you know find out information, do internships, and that, I've been doing that ever since 2009. And and so I've been preparing myself. And um, you know, so whenever that day comes where you know I have to make the transition, hopefully I'll be ready. I'll make it a little bit uh, a little bit more seamless than it would be if I hadn't prepared.
2: That's great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. So, usually women's basketball players play year round, um, play in the WNBA, then we go overseas and it's rinse repeat. Uh, I stopped going overseas like five years ago. So, I've been really lucky because I'm still playing. I still have that. I still have the WNBA, but now I have all these other months to kind of, you know, as I like to say, dip my toe in some waters. And very quickly, I discovered, like, like many people, you know, being out of your comfort zone is not always amazing, Um, but also I quickly discovered that you you have to do it, right? You have to do it to kind of discover these other parts of yourself. So I've done, like, commentating. Um, Last year I worked with the Nuggets. I've been at Sloan five years in a row. Um, You do different things, you meet different people, and you slowly... So I feel like I'm in this process of discovering. I know what I'm good at in basketball. I I know the traits and the qualities. Sometimes it's hard to verbalize, but I I know what they are. Now I'm kind of discovering how they are going to play out. In my next life. And so I think what that'll what that'll do hopefully is once I kind of like see that in myself and I I can like feel it and see it, I'll kind of know which direction I want to go in. You know, whether it is front office or commentating or, you know, whatever the case may be.
2: Yeah, it's that's it's really interesting. That I mean both of the way you're talking about basically being as inquisitive as possible, finding all the opportunities. Same thing. We talk a lot about um, when people are talking about getting into different businesses, just don't worry about what the titles are and stuff. Just what are the day-to-day things you love yeah. to do? And then try to find things that match it. And it yeah. sounds like it's exactly the path. Yeah.
0: But to your point, it's like, I think one of the hard things is, as successful athletes, you want to be good at what you're going to do. Yeah. You don't know any different. So yeah. you're kind of like, oh, do I want to be, I don't know, fill in the blank? Am I going to suck at it? Like, you don't want that to be the case. Um, so in that way, I know we're going to do our due diligence for sure. For sure, for <laughs> yeah.
2: sure. Yeah. That's funny. We've, um, we have board meetings and... Tom Brady will say, you know, we'll ask him opinion on things, and then it's just now we know what's coming. It's just just premium. Does does it care quality? Premium. So that, that's the standard answer, because your point's right. That it doesn't know anything else. Doesn't want to be affiliated with anything else. And yeah. so that's the bar. Um, there's a lot of of course around that, but yeah, it's great. So before we get to some of the student questions and so forth, what advice would you each have to impart to? Students who are in the crowd, who either are embarking on athletic journeys or on their professional endeavors. Uh, you want to go first. I, know, yeah.
0: right. I would say what I said earlier: um, being genuine, like about who you are, what you stand for, and living that, even when it's hard, it's worth it. It's worth it.
3: I would say being being inquisitive, um, being an active learner all the time. Um, Every interaction, every conversation is an opportunity for you to learn, to grow. Um, I would say prioritize that and um, just enjoy the experience. You know, this is the greatest time of your life. I remember in college and relationships you are able to create, and now you're going off into the
2: real world. Um, you know, just cherish every moment, cherish every opportunity. All right. Thank you both. Um, there's a few questions here from the audience uh, that we'll... Go through so Sue. Once it's time to retire, do you fi- do you see yourself becoming a coach potentially? Is that on your on your radar?
0: Um, that's the one thing I haven't dipped my toe in. Although on my team, I feel like I kind of am coaching. Um, yeah, maybe. I think there's aspects of it that totally appeal to me, and it's like I know basketball. I would love to. I feel like through my time, I've been able to become like a pretty good teacher because I can kind of tap into my teammates in that way and I can communicate it pretty well. Um, so it's like that part, but then there's like this whole other part. If you're a college coach, you're recruiting. If you're in the NBA, WNBA, it's like the job is rough. So there's like this whole life, I don't know if I want to live of a coach, but the actual coaching is very intriguing to me.
2: What's your perspective on um, the trend of, or the start of the trend of women coaches in the NBA as well?
0: Yeah, I think it's great. I think um, there's a, uh, a lot of us who have had these like long professional, I think there's a lot of us that are, have these long professional careers that are, are starting to end. And it's just this wealth of knowledge that's now being tapped into. And it's a totally different perspective. It's not different in terms of like better, worse. It's just, there's a lot, like I said, we all play overseas. We've played in the WNBA, we played over here, we played over there. We just have been like consuming basketball in all these different ways for so long. And now I think in the NBA, you can get kind of stuck in a rut in your thinking. And now you have this whole new crop of people coming in. And I think um, I, I know like the women that I know that are in the NBA, I know they're giving a lot to their franchises. Um, so it's, it's nice to see that this is uh, the trend.
2: The trend. that's Yeah. Come, yeah. yeah. Um, so Larry, for players, what are the deciding factors um, in your decision to retire or not? And does it change if a team's contending? Either for you personally or what have seen with others. Um. I guess
3: my, my thought is if I can still be productive, I can still go out and, and win consistently, and I'll I make sure I'm an asset. If I, if I am not, I would not play, and um, even if my team was in position to win a Super Bowl and I was just not able to contribute, I definitely wouldn't continue to play.
2: Yeah. And the inverse as well, if you can contribute, and even if your team can't or doesn't look like it.
3: Uh. <laughs> I can't answer that right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, how did tragedies or unexpected events um, uh, affect you know, your personal lives, your ability to concentrate, focus, strive for greatness um, over time, internal? I would imagine the question includes internal, you know, personal, or abstracting out for the team or broader, broader world. I would
3: say that uh, personal tragedy was definitely probably the one thing um, in my younger years that really reshaped my life. Um, I had a, a pretty tumultuous relationship with my mother before she passed away. We like, weren't even talking over something really stupid, and she ended up passing away my freshman year of college. And, um, you know, like it would be for anybody, it was a devastating time. You know, I contemplated, you know, not even finishing school and going back home. and. Um, you know, it was a you know, a really tough spot for me. And I was able to get through it, but it definitely readjusted my priorities. It, you know, gave me a different perspective on relationships and life and what's really important and what's not really important. And it was something that has, uh, you know, really helped me, you know, definitely as a father and relationships that I have with teammates and friends and anybody that I come in contact with, I, I value it much more because I know it could be gone in a, in a second. And uh, you know, I don't take that time for granted any longer. And um, you know, it, it really helped me. Helped me see, you know, the world through a different lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
0: appreciate that. Yeah, I think the key word is perspective. Um, obviously, all of us deal with personal tragedy, or maybe um, there's situations where a teammate goes through something. Um, the first things that I thought of were actually uh, a teammate of mine in college whose brother died when we were in school, and then actually um, a friend of mine in high school who was in a car accident, was paralyzed from it. And I only pull those two because those, I think about those all the times to to this day, you know? It's like, it's perspective. Like we play a game, you know? Like it's gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other things that that could be way worse. And and when you're going through it, obviously I think sports can be kind of like a safe place, which is nice. It's a place you can go. It's, you know what you're gonna get from it. It's always there. Um, So, and you have your team. You know, I think that's the best part about teams is that you're always there for each other no matter what, even more so than like friends, to be honest. Yeah. It's like they're always there and they care. Sometimes they care because they want you to play well, which is fine, <laughs> but they do care. And so there's something nice about being in that safe place. Yeah,
2: makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think it's a great lesson across. Um, and this is sort of, uh, I like this question, which, because you guys are in a unique position here. What do you? What's your perspective on legacy and how much does sticking with one team uh, you feel impact
0: that? I think it impacts it a lot. I do. Um, I'm probably saying that because I've been on the same team, but I do think it impacts it a lot. I think there, it's not that you can't have the same legacy or one just as great. It's just it gives like a little bit of like a nice little cherry on top, you know, something a little bit special. And something Larry said earlier your fingerprints are all over that franchise. I mean, they're all over the younger players we're playing with now. They're all over the franchise, it'll be there forever, and there's something really special about that. Um, and that, to me, is what legacy has become. I think for a long time, I thought my legacy needed to be about winning. Like, that, that's the one thing you can't argue, right? Like, you can argue all the other things. There's a better point guard, a better this, a better that. But, but did she win? How many championships did she have? So I always, like, that's where I hung my hat, on, on winning, on winning, on winning. I'm being a good teammate, I'm helping my team rise, but I'm winning, I'm winning, on winning. And then I realized, like, oh, there's this like, whole other thing that you can like, leave behind. And it's actually Kobe Bryant who said this, it's like, there's gonna be other MVPs, there's gonna be other you know, assists, someone's gonna break my record in assists, like it's gonna happen. You know? but, but, but leaving your fingerprints on something and leaving it better um, becomes even more special as a part of your legacy. So that's, that's, that's where my focus is now.
3: That's great, yeah. And Sue couldn't have said it any better, you know. I told you, we're the same person. That's really weird. Everything
0: you say. (laughs) To
3: to have opportunities to leave and, you know, to really kind of say, does this align with who I am and where I want to be and what I want my legacy to be defined as, you know, 10 years from now? Because nobody... You know, you retire two years, three years, nobody remembers how many catches or touchdowns or yards or assists or points you had. But they do remember the impact that you have in the community that you served. And to have that connection, um, you know, to go to schools and see some of the things that we've done through my foundation being implemented, like that's really like groundbreaking. You know, the kids, they they don't know or they don't watch sports, but the stuff that we do in their schools is impacting their lives in a mm-hmm. positive way. And, and that means a heck of a lot more to me than anything that we can accomplish, you know, in our arena of our sports because, um, you know, it, it, it really matters. Only what really matters is how you touch and impact lives, and, and that's one something that I can really hang my hat on and say that being in the same location has allowed me to be able to submit myself as a, as a pillar in my community, which I, I take with, uh, with great pride. What inspired you to start the, uh, the foundation? Well, my mother was um, in the nonprofit, she founded two organizations in, in the Twin Cities area as a child and she was always out doing different events and most of our weekends consisted of that, you know, handing out pamphlets for, you know, AIDS walks or going to breast cancer research projects or the circle of love where, you know, people had just been diagnosed with HIV, they were going over resources available to them and places to be able to support them as they as they deal with this, this new life change. And, you know, being able to be with my mother and see all of that, um, you know, it, it really kind of shaped my brother and I's thoughts. And I was like, whenever I have an opportunity to do something like that, I wanna, I wanna be able to make a positive impact as well. And and so we we started it pretty early when
2: I got in. Yeah. What? Um, so, when when you when you both are uh, have you guys per- pursued things that um, you didn't feel motivated or passionate about? And may, I mean. I think the easy version of this answer is probably the off the court or field answer. Maybe the, the more interesting one would be on the court. Have you pursued, you know, whether those are you know, particular plays or relationships or, and so forth that you weren't passionate about? And, and what was the result and what did you do? Absolutely. I
3: mean, it's sport, uh, you know, a team framework is no different from any organization. You're, there's going to be guys that are turds, guys that you have <laughs> literally no respect for. They don't do things the right way, they're, they're not coachable. Um, But that's what I said, it challenges you as a leader to be able to get to them, you know. there, There might be one thing way, way below the surface that you guys might be able to connect on, and that might allow him to give you the ability to impart some information that he might utilize to help him become a better player, to help your team. And so that only happens if you invest in the relationship, if you really, really want to dig down deep and look past the things that you probably dislike about a person. And that's what I said about now being 16 years in, is I would have never looked at it from that perspective five, six, seven years ago, because I would have been like, he's hopeless, he's not going to be able to help us. But now I look at every single person as somebody that you know potentially can be the the deciding factor in us getting over the hump and so i i i look at it in and i look at it as a great opportunity um you know to to invest and then a lot of guys they're you know they, they never say it to you but they're they're just intimidated by you so when you talk to him you know you know what he's actually he's he's not a bad guy man he's uh he's relatable he can understand the things that i'm going through he was in this position before and then they just start they open up to you so i, I um you know i it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been phenomenal, and I love the way it's kind of grown. It's yeah. great. Yeah.
0: Um, there's definitely been, like, I've had coaches that, um, it's never a situation where I didn't get along with them, but it wasn't like we weren't, like, on the same page all the time. And I've had teammates. And I, I, the funny thing is, it's like I just have a mindset of, like, got to make it work, got to make it work, got to make it work, got to make it work. And it wasn't until either that player left or the coach left where it was like, oh, man, that was actually a grind. Like, that was really difficult. Um, and looking back on it, I can say like, oof, it was hard to go to work every day. I didn't realize like the, the weight of it. But the one, the one scenario where I actively knew, I was like, I am not enjoying this, this is very difficult to motivate for, was in Russia because, um, I played in Russia for 10 years. And one of, the, one of my coaches just didn't speak English. I don't think it was like anyone's fault we had to like communicate through a translator and he would just get frustrated really easy and yell a lot and he was like, I don't understand. (laughs) It's not, if if someone explained it in English, I could do what you want me to do. I just don't understand. And he, it just was like a very hostile, not hostile, I don't wanna make it sound crazy, but it just wasn't enjoyable and that was, and I was like, I'm like already living in Russia. You know, this was like when it was like dial up internet. So it was was rough times. We didn't have like iTunes to download TV shows. I was really, (laughs) Skype was like just invented. Um, So it was rough. So, I mean, I would go back to my apartment and it was just rough. I'm I don't wanna like, but if the internet went out, that's the only time I'd really cry. (laughs) Then it was like, I really have nothing here. And it was very difficult to get through that year. And I thought, um, it was my first year. I thought, I'm never going back. And I ended up going back <laughs> for nine more years. Wasn't the same guy, though. But it was rough. It was very rough. Very difficult to go to work. I mean, that's how I put it. Like, when you just dread, you get up, and you're like, oh, got to go to work today. This sucks. That's
2: I think tough. you guys are both underestimating your own ability. I mean, based on what you're saying right now, I mean, the amount of different leadership lessons that you guys are both describing that would apply way far outside of the field are I mean tremendous so really appreciate it um, I think that's all we have I really appreciate your time you guys both um, I, th- I feel like espoused a bunch of great lessons for, uh, for the group here and thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Really good. Thank, thank you. you.
3: This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published broadcast rewritten or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.